0: We are in uh, Philippians right now, a new life series because it's the new year, as well as Philippians being a fantastic four-chapter book written by the Apostle Paul, really talking about the new life that we have in Christ. And uh, realize that when we say that we are disciples of Jesus, we're not converts of Jesus. We're not just like lightly believe in Him. Jesus said, follow me. There's a better way to be. There's a new life that He's called us to. And so as we going through Philippians, which is this book that really kind of talks about this new life, we remember that the operative word throughout Philippians is joy. To rejoice, this new life that we've been called to is a life of joy. And if you remember what joy is, joy is our experience plus our hope. And we've—I don't know what your experience is, but we have an infinitely awesome hope, and we could talk about that today. True joy. Now the first week we went through, we got a new message that 's the gospel realize that it 's not about us it 's about Jesus that we are saved by god 's grace through faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, and as we follow him, He transforms us from the inside out so we become a blessing to the world that 's amazing good news and then last week was we, we went into, we saw that we get a brand new character. in fact, uh, Paul gives us four people we look at as, as uh, examples of how God changes us and the people that we can become and today. We get to look at this new perspective that we get to face and this new life with. Perspective matters. It reminds me, uh, there is these uh, two twins that, uh, two young boys and birthday, and they were, twi- they were so excited about it. And one of them, after all the friends left and, and everything like that, uh, he was just dejected. and he was just sad, he was sitting there, and the other one was like, "Hey, brother, what's, why are you so sad?" He's like, "Oh, it's a whole mo- another year." till we get to do this again. And the other one's like, yeah, but we're just a day closer. <laughs> it's a perspective matters, doesn't it? It changes how we go. There is the lead FBI negotiator for hostages that works in the U.S. He gave a, an incredible TED talk about four years ago. And he, and he said something that I thought was, it caught my ear and I thought it was fascinating. He said that Uh, it's important to keep a positive attitude, a positive mindset when you're in negotiations. And he said, the reason for that is, he said, neuroscience shows that when you have a positive mentality, a positive outlook, you are 30% smarter. Now, I didn't check the stats, but he's the lead FBI investigator. I thought that was fascinating. If you can get a third smarter just by having a positive outlook, then that's fantastic. I want to have that. You know, that's not something that's just worldly. That makes sense. The scripture we're going to see today really drives us into that. We need to have a different perspective. And God calls us into this different, this different perspective, and we get to see the power of it. But first, of course, we want to talk about our memory verse that gives us the ability to have that new perspective. And the memory verse for this series is Philippians which says this, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Remember where the power for this new life comes from. Remember this, that that so often in life, the perspective is that we got to do this on our own power. And that's why we fail. That that we don't have the power to change us from the inside. We don't have the power for new life. But God does. And so if we get too far from that, we're going to get to this realm of legalism, which really kind of shuts us down. And so, with remember that I can do all this through Him, the strength comes in Christ, and we get to see a little today why that is. So, if you have your Bible, why don't you turn them to Philippians chapter three? I'm going to come back and grab my Bible, nineteen. If you uh, forgot your Bible or just need one, don't worry about it. We're a church; we got lots of them. We've Got them in the back there by the sound booth. We're going to pick one up, and uh, if you need a new Bible, just keep it. Our gift to you. Now, as you're turning to Philippians chapter three, you're going to see that in this passage that uh, Paul, he applies this new perspective that we have in Christ to the new life that we have in Christ. That's kind of the focus that we have in this chapter. And he goes through it in a very logical way. He talks about this new life as far in the past, in the present, and in the future. And in so doing, he has three different viewpoints in which he sees this life. The first one is an accountant, the second is the athlete, and the third he looks at as the alien. And so... uh, Let's get into it. The first perspective then, of course, is Paul's past, the accountant. And we begin reading about that in verses 1 through 11, where he writes, Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write these same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those evil dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh, for... It is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by the Spirit, who boast in Jesus Christ and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for such confidence. If someone else thinks that they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness based upon the law, faultless. But whatever were gains from me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. The righteousness that comes from God is but comes from God is the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes. To know his power of his resurrection and the participation in his sufferings, to become like him in his death, and so somehow attaining the resurrection from the dead. Now Paul begins in this section, he starts by addressing some legalists. And the the church there, if you remember, this was the very first European church, and so uh, they had uh, Paul had he had run into some problems with some folks that wanted to alter the gospel. They wanted to make it so, in order that you could become a Christian, you first had to become a Jew, because our faith has it's basically the continuation of the Jewish faith, is it not? And so the concept, a lot of people who, who went through that, uh, they were Jewish and they said, This is our Messiah. If you want to partake in our Messiah, you have to become one of us. You have to become Jewish. So you need to be circumcised, which is removing some flesh, which is why he's talking about that. And Paul says, Wait, but they missed the point. We go back to chapter one. We have a gospel, a new message that we are, it's about Jesus, not us, that we are saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Now, that's an amazing thing. And so Paul begins by saying, listen, you have to be careful that when we start walking this new life, you don't get distracted by well-meaning, but misguided people who are going to drive you into legalism. In fact, he talks about the the first four verses. In fact, he has not very good things to say about them. Right? He calls them evildoers, evil dogs, mutilators of the flesh. They miss the point. So this was not something that God wanted. So he talks about legalists, but then Paul says, listen, if, it was, if I was going to be a legalist, I could be. Paul didn't say I'm against the legalists because I'm against what they do. Paul said what they were doing is abiding by the law. They were doing according to the old covenant. Now we have a newer covenant. right? Now we have the things that those were the foreshadow of actually here. Paul said there's something that God is calling us to. And Paul said, I'm not saying not to do those things because those things were inherently evil. Paul said, listen, I did those things. In fact, if anybody could boast, look what Paul says, I could boast all the more. All the things that we would, as a human perspective, point to as being the things that would make God happy, Paul had in spades. He was the right kind of family, the right heritage. Right, he had done everything. In fact, the part that it gets me is he says, as part of uh, following the law, righteous with the law, faultless. Can you say that? That's crazy. And that's in the Bible. I mean, Paul had every confidence, and yet he said, I consider them a loss. That's the accountant. I think a lot of times, those of us who are in religion, Right, who are, are religious people? We want to honor God, right? We want to make Him right. Sometimes what we do is begin to stack up our worth to God based upon the, the external things that we have done for God, don't we? We become the accountant. Because I've been nice to this person, I forgave that person, I didn't tailgate that person, and I didn't yell at the other person in safe way when they were rude to me, right? I'm a good person. All these cha ching, cha ching, cha ching, cha ching, right? And so we can measure ourselves up against other people. And we think that we've attained this level of, of some kind of superiority. But Paul says, in accounting, he says, I got all this stuff that was on this, this ledger. It's supposed to be the plus side of things. And he says, I consider it loss. I count it loss. Now, that doesn't really matter. That's not, that's not why I am righteous before God, which is hard for us. See, he goes on to verse eight through 11. He goes and said that there's a, a different, better way for righteousness. He said, "What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. A heart for us. Now Paul really took Jesus at his word, where Jesus said, "If you want to live, die to yourself, then you're going to find real life." That's the invitation. Jesus didn't come so you could just have a better life. He came that you could have a new life. And Paul says this is part of that. He says, all the things that I did in the past that I did that kind of give me this sense of, of self-worth, all those types of things. That's not why God saved me, and that's not why God loves me. All of those things compared to the righteousness of God are, are what he calls garbage compared to the surpassing knowledge of knowing Jesus. Now, it's important that we see this in a comparison. Those things weren't bad, but compared to knowing God? The thing is, is that we can be completely religious and forget knowing Jesus, and then we've missed out. Didn't Jesus tell a parable about this? Where he said that, you know, in the last days that, the, that when he shows up, he's going he's to divide people into two groups, the sheeps and the goats. And he's going to go to the goats first, and he's going to say, I, I didn't know you guys. And they're going to think, like, what do you mean you didn't know us? Didn't we do all the religious things? Didn't we do all these things even in your name? Jesus said, you know, get out of my sight. I didn't know you. And yet there will be the other ones For Jesus said, you know what? You did all the right things. You're welcome to the kingdom. And they be like, wait a second. And I don't know why the people in the end will, will argue with God when he tells them, hey, welcome to the kingdom. But they will. And they'll say, whoa, 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 we, we must got this wrong. How on earth, if those people aren't getting in, who did all the right things, how can you possibly, when did we ever do these things for you that you say that we did? And Jesus said, you know, whenever you did anything for the least of these, my brother and sister for me, you did them exactly for me. You did them by faith. Paul's showing us it's a different way. There's a different perspective that we have. It's not a a self-righteousness. It's a God's righteousness. And righteousness doesn't mean goodness, by the way. Righteousness means I'm made right. That that before God, I I am okay. This is where most people go to. This is why there's religions all over the world. People know that we are intrinsically broken. That we need some other people, so we need some guidelines, because so that we can get on the right track. We know that we need some help. That's why there is religion to tell us how to live better. The problem is, is that kind of religion says, if I'm going to do this, is by my own power, my own strength. I'm going to do the right things, and I'm going to earn, I'm going to attain God's favor. Like, there's these big scales up there in heaven, and God's going to put all of my good deeds on one side and all of my bad deeds on another, and hopefully that the scale tips into my favor. Or He's going to line up everybody in order of goodness and take half of them and say, Hey, you're good, you're saved, and all the bad taff goes to hell. I mean, that's how some people think it's going to happen, but that's not how it happens. That's not how it happens in court, by the way. We don't take all the people in the country and say, Line them up based upon how well you've obeyed the law and just cut it down to half and say, Well, You've abided by the law more than most people, so you're fine. And the rest of you abided by the law less than most people, so you have to go to jail. That's not how it works. You don't go before a judge and he says, all right, well, you were going 150 in a school zone. You're like, yes, but I pay my taxes every year and I don't cheat. I even pay on online purchases. And he's like, well, that's not how it works. So why would it work that way with God? Righteousness means righteousness. It means the innocent before an almighty God. You cannot outgood your crimes. Isn't it true? You cannot outgood works your sins. That's why righteousness based upon doing good works doesn't work. And so the old perspective was one of self-righteousness, trying to just be good enough, be good enough, be good enough. But all of us know we're not good enough. And that's why the new life has a different one. A different perspective. Instead of self-righteousness, it's a God's righteousness. It's a righteousness that's imparted by God. Where Jesus was our substitute on the cross. He said, "We," in the same way, we don't deserve to be faultless before God. But Jesus says, take my innocence. That's a powerful exchange. The old perspective of self righteousness leads to an over dependence upon the law for the wrong reason. The law was there to show us what God's standard is, the law is there to show us what's broken in our lives, why we need grace. The new perspective gives us a, a different perspective of grace. We recognize that we are saved by God's grace through faith, that none of us deserves it, and yet God wants us to have it. It's a gift. The old perspective leads to pride, doesn't it? Or shame. There's this idea that, like Paul said, I could boast all the more than anybody else if it comes down to human terms of what's right. But I also know a lot of folks that say, I'm so horrible that there's no way I'd ever stack up. The old perspective leads to one of those two perspectives, but it divides us from other people, doesn't it? Pride makes us look down our nose at them and say, how could I possibly hang out with you? you horrible sinner. Shame says, how can I possibly hang out with you? I'm such a horrible sinner. But the new perspective, because it is based on grace, leads to humility. It's not the question of I can hang out with you. It's the fact that God has called me to love you. That I care for your needs. God's taken care of mine. I don't need to judge how good you are based on all those things. I can say that God can forgive you just like He's forgiven me. And God loves you just like He loves me. The old perspective of self-righteousness leads to the sense of entitlement. God owes me. God doesn't owe us anything. He never owed us anything. He gave us everything we have. Was there a point in the universe it was written that you deserve to live? That God somehow owed you a certain way? No. God, out of his mercy and grace, loved you enough so that you could even exist. And he's seen you well enough to find you here today. When we go into this entitlement mentality, I do all the right things, I check all the right boxes, God becomes my slave. I have the accountant and I say, Check, check, God, uh, I see that you owe me a new car, a new house health, and I haven't been good in this area, so you don't have to answer these prayers. Which seems ridiculous, but it's how a lot of us treat God. The new perspective gets away from that crazy kind of thinking. We're not entitled before God, He loves us. This is what gives us boldness to enter into His courts. Not to demand what we deserve, but to say, God, this is what I need. It gives us a different position, one of gratitude. We get to go before our Heavenly Father knowing that He loves us more than we would ever deserve. And He cares for us so much more. We does not have to earn things from Him. We go before our Heavenly Father because He loves us. So we begin, Paul, looking at his past. And he says, there's a whole different perspective of how I look at the way my life had been. I think it's important for us to take account because the, a lot of us who have come here today have had pasts, haven't we? You didn't just poof appear today. You do. You would think. That's amazing. And I think how we view our past is important. The Perspective that we have. You might be here today thinking that you have somehow done everything so good and that God is just, he's on your side because of what you have done. Here's a great new perspective where God's on your side because, he's, because you're on his side. God just loves you. He just loves you. Some of you are here today. You have a past, and you feel so shameful for things that are just broken, and you feel so unworthy to be used in God's kingdom. And I want you to see: there's a new perspective. God is not looking at those things, saying, "Well, I don't know if I can use you." God says, "I took those sins to the cross. I I died for them. You are righteous." You are righteous. You have every bit of room in his throne room as anybody else. He cares for you. We have to have his perspective. Begin with God's righteousness. The second thing now he goes on to, Paul begins to look at his present. In his present, he uses the the idea of looking at through the lens of an athlete. Starting in verse 12 to 16, he says this, Not that I have already attained all this. Right? He's not perfect. He still struggles, but he says, or have arrived at my goal. But I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of for me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of the, All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some let us live up to that which we have already attained. That's an amazing thing. I love that the like the, the words he puts, especially as a coach, right? I coach football, and I love the idea as Paul's going on to this and he's saying, Listen, you gotta work for it. So there's some things you gotta work for, not for righteousness, but the faith. The faith actually requires our effort. And it requires practice. You're going to get it perfect. He's like, even Paul, the apostle, near the end of his life, I'm not perfect yet, he says, but I'm working. I'm following Jesus every day, step by step. Verse 12, he talks about he's in the battle. I'm not attaining this. This is still going. If you are in Christ and you feel a struggle with living following Jesus, doing what he's asked, of course, obeying all his commands, not to be righteous, but because you know he is righteous and we want to be more like him, so we're trying to follow him, right? You're doing that and you think it's hard? Well, join the club. We're not there because it's easy. That's the point. You're in the battle. You today are in the battle. Now, there's going to come a point which you're not in the battle anymore. We're going to look forward to that day, aren't we? That's going to be great. But we're in the battle today. Okay. This is game time. Right now. Right now is when we're in it. This is the time that we have to not give up. So if it's tough, yeah, expect it. You're going to mess up because you're playing. You know, as a coach, one of the worst things that you can find on the field when kids get hurt is when they're playing halfway because they're afraid to make a mistake. They're afraid to make mistakes so they don't do anything of value. Hard to coach somebody like that. I would much rather have somebody go 100% and do the absolute wrong thing because I can work with that. God wants you to not be afraid to live. Will you mess up? Yeah, count on it. He'll be there to get you back on track. But live. Don't be afraid. Don't get shut down. Don't let the enemy tell you you're no good, so stop. Don't stop. You keep going. Paul the apostle had to keep going, and he tells us to do the same thing. In fact, he tells us that sacrifices are going to have to be made, right? Verse 13, look how he says there. He says, brothers and sisters, I don't consider myself to taken hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, I strain toward what's ahead. Choose what you're going to focus on. You're going to have to choose how you live, right? You're going to have to say, I'm not living according to those old things. What are the dreams in life that hold you hostage? Sometimes you have to die to those things. You say, God, it's not my life, but your life now, because you've got better plans for me than I did. And God will sometimes take things out of your life, good things, that were keeping you off track from what he was wanting you to have. God will sometimes require you to walk through difficult times so that your character can be shaped. It's not because he's mean. Because he has a value in you, you're playing a bigger role than just your comfort. Comfort's coming. We're in the game now. I think a great example of this is my wife. She is an amazing woman. You have 10 years ago, when she started getting sick, we had no idea what the problem was. But she was, if you knew Amy uh, before that, she was the one that was on the whole, like, I'm going to eat whole foods and have a great diet and I'm going to exercise and all that kind of stuff, like, before it was popular. Like, she knew the word organic before most people did. Like, when she said it to me, I was like, what is that? Right? She knew that. For her to get sick was just horrible insult. Right? She... In school, the only bad thing other kids could say about her is they called her Mother Teresa. That was the, the, this is because she's an amazing woman. She didn't ever smoke. She never drank to excess. She never did any of those types of things. She never did drugs. All those, she did all the right things with her body, and then all the wrong things happened with her body. Was it fair? No. It wasn't fair. But we found that even in this, sacrifices had to be made. She had certain dreams of what her life was going to look like, what what the world owed her. But then she recognized that she had a different perspective. It wasn't about herself and what she could earn. There was a new perspective. She had God's righteousness. She didn't have to do certain things to be worthy of love. That she had purpose in this life, not because of what she thought she could do, but what God was doing through her. And so as she began to lose her abilities in her body, God started to build abilities in her ministry. My wife has saved people from committing suicide during difficult times. She has spoken life and hope into people's lives when they were in their darkest moments because she was willing to lay down what was behind her and to take hold of what's ahead. That's a powerful ministry. That's testimony. Do you have difficulties in your life? Read First Peter chapter 1. It says you're going to struggle all kinds of things. They're going to last for a little while. Don't give up. Faith, which is far more valuable than even pure gold, will be proven true and will result in praise and glory and honor when Christ Jesus returns. If you are struggling today, the new perspective is this. God is at work in you. If you've got to die to old dreams, die to those dreams, they were dead anyway. God's got something bigger in you right now, and he's working it out. Now, here's the thing. This is not a dead gospel. This is truly good news. It's not, oh, you have suffering, so just buck it up and enjoy. No, the prize is worth it. That's why we press on. We don't enjoy suffering because suffering is going to do something like we enjoy it. That's stupid. Suffering is called suffering for a reason. We endure suffering. We press on through the suffering. We make the sacrifices, whatever's necessary, because where we are going is worth it. What God is doing is worth it. Paul talks about this. Verse 14. He says, uh, I press on to the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. That's where his focus was. That's the perspective. We stop seeing this world the way that the world does. We start focusing on what God has for us. What's up there? What's ahead? What is the glory that he is now producing in this through my suffering? What is God doing today? And it's not just in suffering that God brings glory too. Sometimes it's it's harder to handle success than it is suffering. Sometimes it's harder to handle wealth and, and prosperity than it is to handle poverty and despair. Oftentimes those take us off track and make us feel entitled but you know, if God's blessed you with those things, He's trusted you with those things. What is He doing to build you through those as well? See, the old perspective that used to hold us captive, that holds the world captive, was this. It was perspective, but to live for today. How often have you heard that? Best life now. Enjoy it while you can. right? You only live once. That was a good thing from the early 2000s. Live for today. That's the old way of living. That's the old perspective, but that's not the new perspective in Christ. The new perspective is to live for eternity. That's what we're welcome to because you are eternal beings. You only got to stick in this world a very short time. Live for what matters. Live for the eternal. The old perspective that says live for today is one that is too focused on comfort. What makes my life comfortable now? And I will do whatever it takes in order to feel comfortable. And if I'm not comfortable, if I'm not getting what I want in order to feel good, then I'm going to change things because it's about being comfortable. Well, what a small way to live. And the thing is, is that we don't all stay comfortable forever because all of us, guess what, die. Which is pretty uncomfortable, I would imagine. The new perspective, instead of comfort, it says this. We look to sacrifice. We say it's worth the goal. What do I have to do to get there? Winning teams, they will be in the weight room in the offseason. They'll be sacrificing their time, their energy, all that kind of stuff so that they can put in. They're saying, whatever I have to sacrifice to get there, I'm going to do. They're looking for ways to pour into what's coming next because the goal is worth it. It is no different for us in our faith. It's not about comfort today. It's about glory for tomorrow. So we look to the sacrifice We say, God, what is it that I can do in order to fulfill your role in my life? How can I build your kingdom because you are worthy? How can I bless these people? How can I care for others instead of seeking comfort for myself? This is a new perspective. The old perspective seeks not only comfort but security. How am I going to be okay? We do all kinds of crazy things in our life to make us okay, sometimes very selfish things. And sometimes people, in order to feel like we're secure, this old perspective, we say it's live for today. We do stuff like we will sabotage relationships so we won't fail in relationships. You ever seen somebody do that? They'd be mean first, so that way you reject them. So that way they're like, well, I knew you were going to reject me because I was mean first. That way I'm secure in myself because you didn't reject the real me, you just the mean me. People do that. We also do other things as we... We don't go out and serve others because what if they reject me? We live our lives in a comfortable little cocoon in which we affect nobody other than ourselves, and we become more and more alienated, more and more narcissistic. The new perspective is not one of security; it's one of hope. You are secure. Hope is not wishful thinking, by the way. Hope is an absolute assurance of what's going to happen. We're, it just—we're waiting on it, but we're fine. There is a day, you and me, we're going to stand before the throne. We're going to give each other high fives, boom, up there in heaven, right? We're praising God with our hands and the rest of our bodies. It'll be awesome. Every tongue, tribe, nation, we're going to be there. We're going to see it with our own eyes, hear it with our own ears. We will be there. It's worth it. And we cling to that. And when we are there, we will look back on this life and everything that we did for that eternity will have been more than worth it. More than worth it. We live for hope. This world has got this perspective of prosperity. What can I do to make my life better here? The new perspective is what can I live for purpose? You can live so much more than your temporary prosperity. Sometimes people have sold their soul in order to make their lives a little more comfortable. What a small thing to live for. Jesus even said, what does it gain you? You gain the whole world, but you lose your soul? No, no. It's not about, we we know that God will prosper us. If he needs to for his kingdom, but he definitely prospers us eternally in his kingdom. And therefore, we can live for purpose. What is it that God has for you? You are not here by mistake. God's known about you since before the dawn of time, Scripture says. He has a calling upon you. When you were baptized, when you came to faith, He put His Holy Spirit in you. He's gifted you for great works. He's called you to a church family, made you part of a body, said you have a function, you have something to offer. What is it? Live for purpose. If you are in a family that doesn't have believers, guess what? You are the light of Christ in the midst of that dark place. If you are an office filled with people who aren't believers, you are the light of Christ in that dark place. You have purpose. You are here to serve and to care for one another in Jesus' name. Start living for it. That's what the perspective of Paul was. I'm going to press on. He's like, even if I'm in prison, you can't stop my love. God is at work. The new perspective proves it. Now he goes on, as he talks about his present, he looks on to the future. And Paul begins to look at it as the alien, as the wanderer. He says here, Starting in verse 17, it says, "...join together in in following my example, brothers and sisters, just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For, as I have often told you before, and now again, even their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven." As we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like His glorious body. Well, amazing hope. The call here is to live differently. We have a different culture. You know, what I think is amazing is we've seen, as, uh, especially in Estes Park in the last, uh, since 2012. We had, at uh, 13, I guess, 2013, we had a, kind of a, a flood. And uh, it was kind of big. And uh, that had a demographic change in our community. And part of that is we have a whole lot of new families. In fact, now, like if you go to the school, I think half of the, the families that are in the schools, public schools, are Hispanic. That's a different culture. Now, one of the cool things about that is it's really changed. Like, they, It's not that like, they just have a different way of doing things. Like birthday parties are completely different, right? They, uh, their Halloween is a is different thing, right? They have a different culture, different ways of doing things. And God is calling us. He says, listen, you live in a different land than is your normal culture. Live and Embrace your real culture. Don't forget where your home is right? We're going to be in this world. That's fine. God says be in this world. You got to go out, be amongst other people, live with them, be normal in that way, but don't be of this world. Be a little abnormal in the way that you have a different kind of culture. There's a different way to live, a different way to be. This is who you really are. Paul reminds us that this world was never our home. It's nobody's home. Everybody's here for such a temporary point in time. Everything you own today will either be in a landfill or will be owned by somebody else everything and everything that you have today was either built by somebody else or was owned by somebody else before you we take up such a tiny place in this world how silly would it be for all of us to say this is our home and so paul's calling us he says listen we have to change the perspective so many people they look at this world and they say this world's cultures is what it's about they're living for this world for the day for the pleasure for the security for all that kind of stuff But if ultimately that worldly culture, we try to make this world our home, becomes about us. Remember, at the Garden of Eden, Jesus or God, when He made us, says He formed us out of the clay of this world, but that's not all we are. Then He breathed His life into us. The eternal portion of us is not this world; it never was, even from the beginning. When we live as though we were just clay, we're just dust to dust, and that's all we are, then we become, it's about today, I'm not going to live forever, so eat and drink and be merry, for tomorrow we die. We are called beyond that kind of hedonism. This this world's culture is self-centered. He talks about it here. It says their God is their stomach, right? Their glory is their shame. What a shame it is to live in this world, to have all the lights and the fame and everything else, but to miss on eternity. You see, but we are citizens of heaven. Instead of being self-centered, we can be Christ-centered. And that's really what worship is, right? It's revolving with whatever your life revolves around is what you worship. If your life revolves around you and your comfort and the things of this world, then you are not worshiping Christ. The invitation is to put Him at center. To remember that it's His life and His kingdom is what really is eternal. It matters. That's what the invitation is. To live like it. So our old perspective is this, the earth is my home. So many of us think that way because it's all we've ever seen. But that's not what we will all ever see. There's going to come a day where you'll have your trillionth, trillionth birthday. Think about that. How cool will that be? How massive will the cakes have to be? That's why in heaven I'm going to invest in bakeries. I'm going to be rich. And candles. But if this world is my home, then my, my... my hope is set in this world. But as my wife has found, and probably a lot of you too, that this world robs you unfairly. We can't control this world. There are things in this world that will take things away from you. you will, it's a broken world. That's what it does. And so we live in constant fear and anxiety. We live for the wrong things and the short things. Instead, the new perspective is that heaven is my home. And guess what? Jesus says, store up your treasures in heaven. Ain't no one going to steal it. Nothing's going to ruin it. There's no floods going to take it away. Live for that. The new perspective invites us to live for eternity. Like we are actually members of God's society. And we don't have to wait till we get there to start living like it. What an awesome invitation. So today we find that as we go through this, this book of, of Philippians, this new Perspective that God gives us is so important as a Christian life. How is it that you are going to follow Jesus in such a way that keeps you free from legalism? How are you going to follow Jesus in such a way when you fail? How is it when you follow Christ that you're going to actually be able to love other people in such a way it's not about you loving them but actually caring for other people? Where the focus could actually be taken off of you and the spotlight put back on Christ, the one who can actually save. Well, we recognize that its perspective matters. Paul invites us to take the accountant approach. Look back at our life and say that, you know what? We want to count on God's righteousness. That you stand before God because of He loves you. You are saved by His grace through faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. But then also from that point, we don't just stay there. Then we get the attitude, the perspective of an athlete. We say, if I'm in this game, I don't want to be on the bench. Let me get in there. Let me go. I'm going to try. And if I fail, I'm going to get up. I'm going to go again. I'm not going to quit. I'm going to press on till I get that prize. And in this whole thing, we remember as we look ahead that really we're just aliens here. We're just passing through. Just a very short trip, and then we're home. And so we have a better culture that we get to share with those in the us of this world. A culture that says, listen, uh, we get to be people of grace and mercy and love, but also we get to be a kind of people... That have Christ at the center. And he holds our worlds together. This is the new perspective in Christ. How do you apply it? Well, if you have your connection card, I invite you to take them out. And uh, on your connection card, there's some next steps that you can do to begin applying this perspective in your life. Remember, following Jesus requires a series of steps. That's what it means to follow him. Faithful steps. What are some things that you may, may want to do to help follow Christ? Maybe this is you're going to memorize Philippians 4.13. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Remember, this new perspective is not something you're going to own yourself, but something that God's going to have to help you with, right? All the way through this. And so maybe this is where you begin by memorizing that. Or in addition to that, maybe you want to read Philippians 3. I read it for you literally in this, what, 20-minute sermon, 30-minute sermon. You can read it all yourself and there won't be any extra commentary. You'll get through it quick, but let God speak to you. Read through it. Ask God, what is it, where do you have me in this? What maybe you want to do is ask God for clarity. In your life today, maybe your perspective is kind of fuzzy, but you're not quite sure exactly where it's fuzzy. Guess what? You have God the Holy Spirit with you and in you. Ask Him. Say, God, give me some clarity. Where is it in my life that I can start gain a better perspective? I guarantee if you start asking God, He will begin revealing and clarifying your, your true vision pent in a contrite heart, a spirit, God's going to start working in that. So go before Him. And honestly, God, I want to see the world your way. Spend some time. Be courageous enough this week to do that. You'll be amazed what God opens your eyes to. Or how about this? Maybe what you want to do is you want to adopt the new perspective. You say, you know what? We've talked about this from the past, the present, the future, the accountant, the athlete, the alien. You say, this is where I want to go. God, I want, I'm going to start... Really judging my life based upon the new perspective, evaluating my life based upon this new perspective in Christ. Begin applying it. Maybe there's something else that God wants you to do. You can write that down here too. As you know, as a pastor, I want to support you in that. Or maybe it's one of these other decisions over here. Maybe it is being baptized or starting a relationship with Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you just want to come talk with me and, and we could talk about how we can help you. I take those next steps of faith. Let me know. As well as on the bottom of your connection card, there's a place to write your prayer requests, I do pray for you every week. And if you tell me how to pray for you, I will I will join you in those prayers. So please write those down. And this is a minute. We're going to take our, our, our offering. If you take our offering, please uh, take your memory verse card off of there and then drop this in the offering basket along with your tithes and gifts. And uh, we'll just see what God does. So let's pray for our offerings and for our commitments. Please join me in that. Father God... We are grateful for your love. Because we didn't have to earn it, it's even better. That uh, you are so good to us. We thank you that you free us in this new life to even see the world in a whole and a much better way. A way that reminds us, that shows us that uh, it's not about what we can do, but what you have done in us and what you're doing through us. A new way that reminds us that, guess what? There is going to be struggle, but we can persevere through it and that you're even working in the hardship to build greater things. A reminder that where we're going is fantastic and that we are already citizens of your mighty heavenly kingdom. Lord, I pray that you would put your blessing upon this church family. Help us to gain this perspective and see the world as you do so we can live this new life effectively as you've called us to. Father, we pray for the offerings that you were about to bring and the tithes. May you use them to build your kingdom. We also pray for the commitments that we've all made. Lord, help us to not just do legalistic things, but Father, I pray that you would meet us there in faithful actions, Lord, to build our faith and to make us more like Christ. We pray all of this in his beautiful name. Amen.